Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the Somerville campus and 11 a.m. at the North Charleston and Remount campuses. Thank you. We hope you are blessed through listening. We are at the end of the second uh, letter, the second epistle to the Thessalonian church. Uh, there's a new church. It's a new congregation. It had begun. Uh, Paul went there and visited there shortly after he left. He went back to Corinth. He stayed there for a couple of years. And during the span of those two years, he was at Corinth. He wrote these two letters. And so the church now is less than two years old. And he writes back to them and, and he talking to them about the Lord's coming back. Jesus Christ could come at any time. And so the whole theme of, of these two epistles is Christ is coming back. And because the Lord is coming back and we don't know when he's going to come back, when he's going to return, the message is get ready. Get your hearts and your lives ready because Christ could come back at any moment. He writes the first letter to Thessalonians. He talks about the rapture of the church. Talks about the return of the Lord. He talks about holiness and sanctification and, and, and the reason we need to get our heart and life in line with God because God is coming back. By the time he writes Second Thessalonians, they, the church is kind of confused. Because he said, God has not suffered you to, to, the, to experience the wrath to come. And so because they start to go through tribulation and trials, many of them thought that Christ may have already come and they missed the rapture. They missed it. And so he writes in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, Do not be alarmed as this has already occurred. This event can't happen lest there first be a great falling away and the man of lawlessness or the man of sin be revealed. And so he says, you haven't missed the rapture. Don't worry about that. It hasn't transpired yet. And some of them thought, you know what? Because Christ could come back at any moment, any time, any day. Let's go ahead and quit our jobs. Why work? Let's just stop working. Let's quit our jobs because Christ is coming back. Could be next week, the week after. And after all, let's, uh, we got just a few days left on this earth. We might as well all quit our jobs. And that's kind of the backdrop that, that, that Paul sets this uh, third chapter to. And we're going to look at it together. And he uses the word three times in this chapter. It's the word disorderly. He says, many of you in the church at Thessalonica are disorderly. You are out of order. It is not God's will and God's plan for you to be lazy. Now, I want to tell you, it's a good word for us today. He's not looking for laziness. He's looking for servanthood and ministry and faithfulness and all these kind of things. So we're going to get very practical this morning as we look at God's word together. Let's read it. Verse number six. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, would, that you would draw from every brother who walks disorderly. Now, there were some in the church who were being disorderly. He says, separate yourself from them, cut them off, ostracize them, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. We didn't behave that way when we were here. Nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. 
let's, let's say that together. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Pretty simple. It, it makes sense. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey this word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Father, today, as we open up your word, open up our hearts this morning that we will receive exactly what you have for us. We need you today. We thank you, God, for each person here. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Blessed we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Got a few simple quotations. Uh, you've heard the, 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 the expression, you might be a redneck if. Well, uh, we're going to give you a few, you might be lazy if. And so we're going to take a little quiz right now and see who the lazy people are in the house today. You might be lazy if you always do an honest day's work, but it takes you a week to do it. You might be lazy if your self-winding watch keeps stopping. You might be lazy if you have to save energy to take a nap. You might be lazy if you fall asleep at work and nobody notices. You might be lazy if you have a shoe named after you. It's called the loafer. <laughs> these these uh, workmen, highway department workers got to work one day. And they realized after they got to work, they had forgotten their shovels. And they didn't know what to do. And so they called back their uh, supervisor and they radioed him and said, you know what? We forgot our shovels. If you could bring them by right away. And they, he, they got this uh, back from the supervisor said, I'll be there, boys, in just a few moments. Until I get there, you can lean on each other till your shovels arrive. <laughs> uh, Work is a huge part of our lives. Uh, I read a statistic. The average person will work 90,000 hours of their life. And that doesn't include work around the house, work with the family, work at church, service at church. 90,000 hours before you quit working or before you retire. Uh, so you can see that work is a colossal part of our lives. It's, it's a, it's a, a large part of what we do and we'll do the most of our time. And the way you work, the way you conduct yourselves, uh, the, the way you handle yourself at work will impact your, not only your personal happiness, but even your future success throughout the rest of your life. Now, how you view work is absolutely critical. In the Greek culture, the Greeks... Uh, kind of had this idea of work, and, and Homer was a poet in that society, and this is what he wrote about work. He said, the gods hated men, and the way they demonstrated their hatred was to invent work and punish men by making them work. Now, if your view kind of runs down the same line of thinking, if you view work as a necessary evil, something you just have to do in order to make a way, in order to feed yourself, in order to take care of your family, or in order to finance your fun on the weekend, uh, what will happen is you'll wind up arriving to work late, 
You'll leave early, and in between, very little gets accomplished, gets done. Manager was interviewing some candidates, and he said to one of the candidates who was in there, he finally broke the bad news to him. He said, I'm sorry, I can't hire you. There just isn't enough work to keep you busy. To which the applicant quickly replied, you'd be surprised at how little it takes. Now, now this view that somehow work is punishment, uh, I want to tell you, work was not a part of the curse. Some people go back and they read the book of Genesis and they read about the curse and about the fall of man and they think somehow that work was a part of the curse. That was not a part of the curse. The curse was thorns and thistles. The curse was that second law of thermodynamics that eventually, over time, things deteriorate. Your garden deteriorates. If you let it alone, thorns will come up, thistles will come up, briars will come up, and nothing will grow. And so you've got to work extra hard to maintain, make sure you maintain your ground and your garden and your property. And uh, basically, in life, everything will deteriorate because of the curse. Things will eventually rot and decay. And so you've got to take care of your houses and your stuff and your things because eventually it all kind of winds down and if you don't take care of it it will deteriorate work wasn't a part of the curse in fact when god placed adam and eve in the garden he told them in the garden he says i want you to take care of my garden i want you to name all the animals i want you to be a zoologist i want you to take care of of all the crops and all the garden and all the plants and i want you to do all those kinds of things and and i want you to be fruitful and multiply and so work itself is not a part of the curse in fact i will tell you when viewed properly work can be a gift from god It can be a gift from God uh, so you can show your uniqueness, uh, your creative powers that God has placed within every single one of us. Uh, Work can be the means that you can glorify God in all that you do. You know, the Bible says that as children of God, my life belongs to him. And so I'm called to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever path he leads me in and whatever he calls me to do, I am called to live out my life for the glory of God. And so when I go to work, uh, then I need to say, am I glorifying God as I go to work? Am I an example of what a Christ-like worker ought to look like and ought to be? So this morning we're looking at this, uh, looking at a biblical perspective on work and find out how that impacts every single one of our lives. Number one, first of all, if you have your outlines, you can look on the back of your bulletins with me today. Number one, work is protection. Look at verse number 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy buddies. That, that attitude of idleness, that attitude of laziness among the Thessalonians was creating problems. And instead of studying the word and spending their time in prayer and seeking God and, and exercising spiritual disciplines, and instead of going to work and being a Christ-like model, because they had nothing to do, they became busy buddies. They became gossips. They got involved in everybody else's business because they had all this time on their hand and and they they actually hindered those who were still trying to work. So they became busy buddies. And because the church loved everybody and cared about everybody, those who were working were taking care of those who were too lazy to work. 
and church resources and church funds were going towards financing the lazy among them, the disorderly among them. And Paul says, cut it out. If they don't work, don't let them eat. Wow. I, I didn't make that up. That, I just read that to you. That's in the God's word. He said, not only were they not working, not only were they becoming busy buddies, not only were they draining the church finances, uh, but their lifestyle of laziness was being a poor example for others to follow. And so he writes in verse number nine, I, Paul, when I was among you, uh, even though I could have lived by just the preaching of the word of God, I worked among you. uh, I took care of my family. uh, I did all that was necessary so that I might be an example of what a good worker will do and will be and will look like. And so indirectly, all those who were lazy All those who were on the church welfare system, all those who were draining the resources were actually hindering the growth and the outreach of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of us can't handle, and I include myself in this, very much laziness in our lives without getting into some sort of trouble. We used to have an expression when I was growing up, and and see if you've ever heard this, idleness is the devil's workshop. Anybody ever heard that expression? I heard it so much growing up, I thought it was in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You won't find it there. But we've heard that expression, idleness is the the devil's workshop. And it is true, when you work and you find that place that God places you in, and you use all your God-given talents and abilities in whatever job he places you in, and you give it your very best, it will help keep you out of trouble. But if you're lazy and at home and not working at all, it just kind of opens up the door for the enemy to come in. And that's exactly what was happening in Thessalonica. Because they weren't working, they were becoming busybodies. A story in the Old Testament about King David. The Bible says in the spring of the year when the troops would go out to war, David says, you know what, I'm going to take a little time off in the palace. There's no sense me fighting, no sense me leading the troops. Joab's got it under control. I'll let him go fight. I'll let him be my general. And I'll just be lazy and hang out at the palace. And you know the story. David's walking around the palace. He's bored out of his mind because he is a warrior king, but he's not doing what God had called him to do. He's not fulfilling his God kingdom responsibility. And so he's lazy. He's hanging out of the palace, taking a little vacation time. Uh, and he's walking around on the on top of the palace. He's got his binoculars. Uh, he's looking around and there he sees Bathsheba. And you guys know the rest of the story because he didn't go off to war with the rest of the kings, uh, with the rest of the nation of Israel. He fills his time uh, by getting involved in a little pornography. And he looks at Bathsheba taking a bath on the rooftop next door and that leads to adultery and the adultery leads to murder and you know the story idleness is the devil's workshop and if he'd been doing what god had called him to do as the king in the first place he'd never got himself in that same kind of mess god regards laziness as selfishness and rebellion to him Because it goes against God's plans for our life. God made us and created us to be workers. uh, And when we are lazy, it is in some ways rebellion against our creator. God is a creative God. 
And since he commands us to be faithful and diligent, uh, then because, because he does that wherever I work uh, and whatever I do, uh, God expects me in his word. He says, do whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so we've got to ask ourselves, am I doing it for God's glory or am I doing it to get a paycheck or am I doing it to slide by or am I giving my very least in life? Think about it, church. Give it our very best. So, so work is protection. It protects us from the evil around us. Work is also provision. Look at verse number 10. He says, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Work is God's channel to provide for you. God gave you the skills. God gave you the strength. God gave you the ability. It is the way God has blessed us to take care of our families and provide for us. Now, I'm going to tell you, God can send ravens down like he did with Elijah at the brook Cherith, and he can send ravens, and he can bring the food by by air mail, and he can bring it right into where you're at. He can do that. And Jesus Christ, we know, can multiply the loaves and fishes, and and he can feed 5,000 people with one miracle he does right there on the scene. But listen to me very carefully. But he usually gives us a job. That's kind of God's preferred method for taking care of his children. He gives us a purpose. He gives us a job. He gives us a function. It is presumption to reject that provision and then claim, you know what? I'm just trusting in God to take care of all my needs. And interviews come by and jobs come and go and we let them go and we don't do what we could possibly be doing. And so we just sit back and we're lazy we draw our unemployment check just as long as we can. I've talked to people who said, you know, I, I've given them job opportunities. They said, well, you know what? I've got four more months of unemployment. Come to me then. My goodness, don't shout me down here. This is, this is getting, we're getting close here. We're getting close. Just trusting in God. And most of the time, they're really trusting in other people to take care of their needs. They're not trusting in God at all. Robert Frost makes this quotation. Listen to it. The world is full of willing people. Some are willing to work and the rest are willing to let them. Listen to what Proverbs 19.15 says. And Proverbs has a lot to say about work. I just picked a few of the verses out. Proverbs 19.15. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person shall suffer hunger. Proverbs 28 and 19. Who... He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. Now listen, we, we have got people all around who live with the idea that the world owes me something, that the government owes me something. Or that somehow the world has been unfair to me and I've got a raw deal and therefore in America I am owed something. The apostle Paul talks about a debt, but he reverses it. He says, I am a debtor to all men. I owe all men something. And what was he a debtor to? I am a debtor to take the gospel to every single person I see. I am a debtor to all people. The world didn't owe him anything. He says, I am a debtor to all other men to tell them the truth. In verse 10, it says, if anyone will not work, he shall not eat. Now, I want you to notice the verse very carefully, lest some of you start to come under a little heavy cloud right here. It says, if anyone will not work, 
he shall not eat. It did not say if anyone cannot work, he shall not eat. There is a difference. And we are compassionate. And we care for those who are disabled. And we care for those who cannot work. And I am thankful for those times when government steps in and says, you know what? You had a deadbeat husband and he bailed out on you uh, and he left you alone with three kids and, 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 and four mouths to feed and you're all by yourself. And, and, and I am, I am thankful for a compassionate government who will at times uh, step in or, or a compassionate church uh, who, you know what, you're going through a rough time. Come by and get some groceries. Uh, let us help you out. Let us get you through this crisis. Uh, I am thankful for that that goes on in the body of Christ and in our land today. We are a very compassionate, caring nation. And so it does not say if anyone cannot work, it simply says if they will not work, don't let them eat. But when able-bodied people draw subsidies simply because they can, because they can beat the system, because they can cheat the system, because they think they're entitled to something. I will tell you, something is desperately wrong in our nation. We are in huge, enormous debt in America today because of our entitlement programs. And now we extend the unemployment, and if you can't get a job in six months, you go back and refile, and it's another six months, and another six months, and it goes on and on and on. And now we are, I don't know how many trillions of dollars in debt. Work is an honorable way to get your needs met. In Psalm 104, he, I don't have time to go into all of it. He's describing how God created the heavens and the earth and how he made the world and how, what an awesome did he, job he did with making everything and how God worked in all that he did. And right stuck in the middle of that psalm, there's a verse in verse 23, and, and he's talking about God making creation, and then he throws this verse in there, man goes out to work and to his labor until evening. And so he says, a man made in the likeness of God, he also goes out to work. And he does his labor all the way until evening. Work is part of God's plan. It's a part of God's economy. It's the way we take care of our family. It's also a very powerful way in which we glorify God. And the third thing, not only is work protection, not only is work provision, but work is also partnership. I want you to think about this last point for a few moments. In, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 9, Paul writes, for we are laborers together with God. Now, I know he's talking about the spread of the gospel and one water, one plants the seed, another waters, and another reaps the harvest. And then he makes this great statement, for we are laborers together with God. But I want to propose something to you. I want to propose that when you go to work tomorrow morning, you don't get up and say, oh, it's Monday. i got to go to work. Ah, I hate this. And you go dragging in, and you're, you hate being there the whole time. I want you to walk in with the same kind of mindset that the Apostle Paul had, for we are laborers together with God. I believe if you are truly a child of God, uh, owned by him, uh, that everything you do, you are partnering with God. And if you get up in the morning, you say, what? You know what? God, you and I, we're going to work today. And God, you're going to help me today. And you're going to help me to be a witness. And you're going to help me to be a testimony. And you're going to help me to be a light. And so together, we are partnering together with God as we go to work. 
It'll change your attitude. It'll change the way you think about it. It'll change the way you view your work. We are going together. We're partnering together. And what will happen is God will be glorified in the workplace by your above-the-top work ethic. And when you go in, you work not only when they're watching you, you work when they're not watching you. You work not as a man pleaser, but as a God pleaser. Because all of a sudden, you know what? Everything I do, God, you're involved in it. We're in this together, uh, for we are laborers together with God. And what happens is that's going to begin to open up the door to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, Because our work is all about getting the good news out. Uh, And what will happen is God will be glorified in your life. But not only that. It'll open up doors for you to open up your mouth and begin to tell the good things that God has done in your heart and in your life. Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, the Bible says he was the cupbearer to the king. That was a very special job. And he was a believer in God, in Jehovah God. And so he was the very best cupbearer you could find. Now, cupbearer was the guy, he was kind of the king's personal assistant. And of course, he made sure that, that the name that derives, check and make sure that his food wasn't poisoned, but he did much more than that. Nobody could come to the king. The cupbearer was there. He took care of his personal needs. He just really took care of the king in that pagan land. Did a great job. But something happened. Word came back, a report came back to him that his city, his hometown of Jerusalem, the walls had all been destroyed. The city was in ruin. And and all of a sudden the Bible begins to describe this man becomes burdened because the walls need to be rebuilt. And and, and he is there and and he goes to the king and he says, you know what? The walls of my city, they're crumbled down, they're torn down. I want to go back. Now, now he's not looking at a job, but what he is looking at is I want to go back and partner with God and see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt again. And by the time you get to Nehemiah chapter four and verse six, it says, and so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Eventually, they would finish that wall in 52 days. And then he says, it makes this great statement, for the people had a mind to work. For the people had a mind to work. Listen, the walls don't get built unless somebody has a mind to work. I, I, we've got a, a team. I got 14. This is, is a little, I'm having a little bit of withdrawal right now because I've been on, I think, every missionary trip the church has taken with the men. And so this year, because of the planning of the campuses and so much going on, I could not get away. And so I sent Pastor Craig. He's got about 14 men with him, and they're in Montana. And they are building a church for the American Indians in Montana on the reservation. And they sent back pictures. They already got the walls up, and they're, they're, getting, they're getting the trusses put up, and they're getting the roof put on. And it, they're really having an awesome time and a lot's getting done. But we go on these missions trips and it would be hot. And we would go to Honduras and we would work, work with Ricky and Maria, our missionaries there. And it was so hot. It's like, it's like 100 something degrees and you're out there and the sun's beating down on you and you're laying block. A lot of the work we do is block laying. And so you got to lay the block and, and mix the mortar, and it's just hard, grueling work. The blocks get heavy. And when you're used to my kind of work, sitting behind a desk and writing and talking to people on the phone and doing some counseling, that physical block work just about wears you out. But we'll take a little break, and everybody will take a break. And once in a while, you get under that shade tree, 
and you want to lay back, and you want to just take a break. And the break gets a little bit longer, and the guys get to talking, and they're not in a great hurry to go back and jump on that block wall again. And finally, I say, guys, okay, let's get moving. These blocks won't lay themselves. Steve can tell you that's my favorite line. And so we get up and we start laying the blocks again, and that's how I get them back to work. And, and, but the saying's true. These blocks won't lay themselves. And the Bible says that in Nehemiah's day, they totally rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem in 52 days. And the Bible says all the armies and nations around them feared because they saw how God was in the camp, how God enabled to get that supernatural job done in such a short time. They could not have done that unless they had partner with God. I want to tell you, if you will partner with God as you go to work, he will help you to be the very best employee you can be for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is, as you partner with God and you go to work, you'll view work more than just a way to get another paycheck. You'll leave the paycheck mentality and you will move into a kingdom mentality. How many know that's much greater than just working for wages? You'll leave your paycheck mentality and you'll move into a kingdom mentality. I've jotted a few things down. I, I, one, one is what is the cure for slothfulness? Let me just give it to you very quick. It's very simple but profound. Uh, number one, the cure for slothfulness. Get up! <laughs> Proverbs 6 and verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. The ant prepares the ant works, the ant will always have plenty to eat. Number two, go to work. Get up, go to work. Verse 10 again, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And number three is work diligently. Work diligently. Look at Colossians chapter three. There are many, many scriptures in the word of God that reference our work ethic. But look at Colossians three and verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Isn't that a great word? Do it heartily. Put your all into it. Put your heart into it. As to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of your inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Work diligently. Now, uh, let me just say something right now. I, I look at this congregation. Most of you guys are working. Most of you guys have jobs. Uh, men, ladies, uh, many ladies in here work and hold jobs. And if you're not working at a, a, a job, you're working at home. I would tell you uh, some of that homework is a lot harder raising kids and even what the men get to sometimes do is take off and leave the house and we come back and the women are insane. And so uh, it, it's, it's not always fair. But, but where, whether you work at home, whether you work out, out of that office, whether you work out of the home and you're out there somewhere, most of you work. And I would say, looking around, most of you are very hardworking laborers. And so you're kind of yawning and saying, this really may not apply to me because, after all, I'm doing my very, very best. But I want to talk about something else for just a moment. It's what I call spiritual laziness. You may not be lazy at work. You may be a great employee. But what about your spiritual man? See, if we aren't careful, we'll get, we'll get lazy spiritually. And we don't read our Bible. And we, and we don't pray and talk to God every day. 
and we're not serving somewhere in the church, and we're not serving our brothers and sisters, and we're not involved in any ministries that are going on around us. And, and I call that spiritual laziness. You see, we get in a routine, and we go to work, and we work, and we come home, and we're ready for supper, and we eat our supper. And you know what? We're so tired from work, we just feel we deserve a break. And so the man goes to his easy chair, kicks up the legs, uh, gets the remote, and the most work you'll do the rest of your night is to uh, move one thumb across the remote control. Looking for the game on ESPN. Man, aren't you glad football season's finally here, by the way? Just a little side note. Yeah! Finally! But, but that, that's the most work you get is your thumb kind of moves. And, and we rationalize and we say, what, you know what, I deserve this. Because I worked hard all day. I want to talk, what about spiritual laziness? Where is our spiritual discipline where I am building up the spiritual man, uh, where I am getting to God's word, uh, where I'm seeking his face, where I pray uh, and I pray in the spirit. He said, when you pray in the spirit, your spiritual man is built up. uh, And when I'm going out and telling people about Jesus Christ uh, and I'm helping somebody else in need uh, and, and and I'm working and ministering to other people in the body of Christ, what about that? Spiritual laziness. Now it's a little quieter. You were all amen at me when I talked about government subsidies. Amen. Yeah, give it to those guys. And, and now you're coming around and say, oh, 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 pastor, you're killing me. Spiritual laziness. Listen to Luke 19 and 13. He, uh, he, he, he's given a parable of a master who went away. Went on a long journey. He said, but one day he's coming back. And, and, he, and he says, uh, in one translation, do business until I come. In the King James, it says, occupy until I come. In other words, this is the mistake the Thessalonians were falling into. They thought because the Lord's coming back, I don't have to do anything. And, and, and Jesus Christ, it's the exact opposite. Because I'm gone away, because I am coming back one day, because this world is not all there is. Do all you can for the kingdom of God. Right now, this is our chance. Listen to what Jesus Christ had to say in John 9 and verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, Jesus said, today in this earth, this is our opportunity. Don't miss it, church. Jesus said, I must work the works of God. That's what he's called me to do. That's what he sent me to do while it's today. Because there's coming a time when the Lord's going to come back and our opportunities on this earth will all be over. You got an opportunity to touch those you work with. You got opportunities to win your friends to the Lord. Uh, you got opportunities to win your unsaved loved ones to Christ. Uh, we've got opportunities right now. But when that trump of God sounds uh, and Jesus Christ returns to take us home, those opportunities will be gone. And so he says, I didn't save you so you can find a rocking chair somewhere and sit on your front porch and say, my, isn't it a lovely day today? God saves us so we can be salt and light to this world. When God called Abraham, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great blessing. You're going to bless all the nations around you. Uh, He first of all says, I am going to bless you. But it doesn't stop there. It says, I bless you so that you can in turn be a blessing. 
Israel missed it. They thought God blessed them so they could be God's chosen wonderful people and they kind of had a handle on the one true God. But God said, that was never my intention. I raised Israel up as a small nation among all the nations uh, so they could be a blessing to the rest of the world uh, so I would be glorified so everybody could say, wow, isn't that incredible? God could take a tiny nation and change the world. God saved you, God's blessed you, God's provided for you, God's taken care of you, God has done all this wonderful thing in our life. Why? Not so we can sit back in our easy chair. He says, I've blessed you to make you a blessing. Laziness is a lifestyle that prevents us from using our gifts and talents to accomplish God's will in our lives. The opposite of the sin of laziness is the virtue of service. Service. All of us are called to that. The Bible talking about Jesus Christ said he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And he said this example that I've given you is is for all of my children as well. Now how do we have an abundant life of service? I'm going to get very practical. Jot these down. There's four of them. Number one, if you want to get involved in service in the kingdom of God, first of all, you need to take time to discover your gifts, talents, and passions. What, what, what do I really feel God stir my heart about? What, what is it that breaks my heart when I come to church and I hear about this need or that need? What, what is there that, that just really drives me and motivates me? Or what am I talented for? Some of you are talented for working with kids. Uh, others just say, don't put me in there, I'll kill somebody. Uh, some of you are talented working with teenagers. Uh, others are, are talented, gifted singers. Uh, others of you can go out and visit and minister to the poor and the elderly. Uh, others you can come in and work in the office and help us out in, the, in our reception and all these uh, things that are going on around the church. There's there's so many places uh, that you can volunteer and get involved in productive kingdom work. Where can God use me? Some will want to go speak to the prisons and go to the juvenile detention center. Others of you have a real heart for the elderly and you'll give up a Sunday a month and go minister at the nursing homes. And there's just so many ways this church is reaching out in, in four different campuses right now. And so you've got to say, where is my giftings? Where are my talents that God has given unto me? And and where's my passion? And and you begin to follow that as God leads you and directs you. Number two, you discern that area of ministry when you begin to look at your gifts and talents first. Then say, God, what are you calling me to do? Uh, What are you speaking to my heart about? What are you stirring me to do? And, And here, God can sometimes use the advice and counsel from others. Someone may come up to you and say, man, you'd be great here. You'd be great there. Or they'll call you up and say, can you give me a hand? Can you help me? We're gonna go move so and so today. It's a Saturday and someone needs to move from their apartment into someplace else. And, and we had about 10 men, nine men to volunteer to do that yesterday morning. And someone else came and helped somebody else in their house. And so, so it may just come by way of a phone call and say, we need you. Uh, we're gonna, our church is going to be building a Habitat for hu- uh, Humanity house uh, over there. And so you may sign up and take a morning, a Saturday morning or a Thursday morning and get involved in signing up. And, and so you can work on a house in a very practical way. You may not be able to go overseas or, or take a, a trip to Montana or somewhere else, but you can help right here. And so you begin to say, God, where are you leading? So it may come by way of a phone call. Maybe God will open the door or he even closes doors. Uh, but God can guide us through that way. But ultimately, he comes down and speaks to your heart and says, this is right. And you do what God's asked you to do. Number three, learn to say no. Now, you may be 
Say, okay, wait a minute. Uh, you're contradicting yourself here. But keeping busy is not necessarily always productive kingdom work. Uh, keeping busy is not necessarily the antidote for laziness. In fact, you can be lazy kingdom-wise and be incredibly busy. You can be doing so many things, uh, you can't really do what God wants you to do. It can keep you from purposeful living. And so some, there are some things you can't do everything. So there are some things you may need to let go of. And then number four, and, and listen to this is a principle all the way back to creation. Find out what things in life where there is rest and refreshment and renewal and avail yourself to those opportunities. We don't want you to burn out and become a workaholic. God himself said there's six days for man to work. And on the seventh day, I want you to rest. There is a such thing that we need in our lives, a Sabbath rest. Uh, and if you don't have those times to get away, pull away from everything else around you uh, and find that place of renewal, those seasons of refreshing that God himself wants to give. He talks about that in the book of Acts, that God will send you seasons of refreshing. And so uh, don't get too unbalanced in this message. Uh, don't take it too far to the extreme to where you burn yourself out, uh, but you work with all your heart and all your might for the Lord Jesus Christ And then you take those seasons of rest and refreshings to renew yourself so you can go back and get busy again in the kingdom of God. How many understand that? Get that concept. There's got to be a balanced approach. God's touched your life. He touched you so he can use you in meaningful, purposeful service so you can be a blessing to others. Now, let me tell you that one of the the greatest resource I believe God has given every single one of us but it's a very fleeting resource. It's the resource of time. Time. Your time on this earth is a gift from God. Your time here. So I, I think it's good for all of us as believers is to do a, little, uh, do a little analysis of how we're spending our time. Look at it. Where's the majority? Where's the bulk of your time going to? How do you spend your time? I think sometimes if we looked at our time and the way we spend our time, the way God looks at our time, we would be humbled by how much we waste. God's given us resources, privileges, gifts, and opportunities to serve him. I ask you again, are we spiritually lazy? Or have we given ourselves to kingdom service and kingdom living? And let let me tell you this, too. There is great joy in that. This message should not be drudgery or, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But there is great joy and liberty when you partner with God and you, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. There is great liberty and freedom and joy in your heart and your life right now. But, you know, there's also joy in the future. I believe it blesses the heart of God. And one day, listen to me, one day, When he does come back, and the whole letter about Thessalonians is about the return of the Lord. One day when he does come back, there's an expression he's going to use. He's going to say, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Will he be able to say that about you, about me? Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.